and welcome into another episode of Runner for the Roses. First one in 2022. It's been a hot minute, Lucas, but we are uh, back. A uh, lot to talk about here is uh, we're through bowl season. We're through most of recruiting season. We just crowned a national champion. So lots to get into. But first, as always, uh, how you doing tonight? Good. Um, happy to be back. Uh, it's been a while since we uh, recorded. Apologize for the uh, kind of crazy holiday period and just the last couple weeks. But uh, yeah, even since the last time we recorded, a lot has happened. The playoffs happened, bowl season happened, recruiting happened. And as you mentioned, just on Monday, we crowned a new national champion. Um, but uh, excited to hopefully recap as much as we can with you tonight. So honestly, we'll start, I think, with what everyone's talking about. Wisconsin beats Arizona State in the... Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, National Championship, Georgia. First national championship in over 40 years. 1980 was the last time the Bulldogs won a national championship. Kirby does it at his alma mater. They beat Alabama 33-18. to They get revenge after losing the SEC championship. Lucas, I remember on our last podcast... We had both kind of dinged George's resume, and I will still hold the contention that George's resume was not good enough to make the playoff, but they made the playoff. They slaughtered Michigan, mm-hmm. and after a kind of grueling rock fight for the first three quarters, they uh, tamed the beast in mm-hmm. Alabama. Um, your general kind of thoughts of uh, the 2022 National Championship game? Yeah, I was surprised just because Denson Bennett was still the quarterback uh, and under center at Georgia. I think that's kind of the wildest thing out of all this. We knew how good Georgia's defense was. And my God, <laughs> it just, I mean, it's, it's an NFL team on that side of the ball. But I thought the biggest thing still was holding them back was quarterback play. And the, the whole, I feel like the whole dialogue all year, you know, coming in, JT Daniels was even a favorite a dark horse to win the Heisman. And even when he went down, when Bennett was in and playing fairly well, everyone just kept asking, when are they going to go to JT Daniels? Even in the national title game, when Stenson Bennett was struggling, it was not good for their offense moving forward. There was even people tweeting out, uh, it's, is JT Daniels like handicapped right now? Like, why is he not in the game? Bennett, Bennett made some huge throws, um, especially that last touchdown pass that he throws uh, right towards the end of the fourth quarter, uh, basically to give Georgia the go-ahead lead. So I think it's just kind of crazy. Out of all the five stars and four stars that we saw in this matchup, plenty of NFL talent. It was a walk-on senior quarterback, uh, Stenson Bennett, who I think is – probably going to be the main storyline moving forward from this game yeah um and i'm glad you brought up the jt daniel stuff because that was something i saw on twitter during the game i mean people were saying Mm -hmm. they were comparing it to what 2018 when tua came in hurts like kind of are we going to have that situation where the backup comes in and, and you know leads his team to a national championship uh stetson bennett finished 17 of 26 224 yards and two touchdowns um I, I think for me, I think the big difference in this game was Alabama's inability to get big plays. Mm-hmm. Um, Alabama, I mean, they put up 41 last game um, in the SEC championship game in the last game that, that these two teams played. Bryce Young threw the ball 57 times in this game. Uh, Brian Robinson ran the ball for 68 yards. And Alabama as a team finished with just 30 rushing yards now. A lot of those were sack yards, but Trey Sanders and Brian Robinson combined for just 73 rushing yards, um, averaging about 2.8, 2.7 yards of carry between them. So the Alabama loses Jamison Williams to a you know likely torn ACL, significant knee injury. They had lost John Menchie in the um, Cincinnati game. Was it Cincinnati or was it the SEC championship? I think it was the SEC title okay. game. They lost him, yeah. So regardless, Alabama's down their last two or their, their two top receivers. And it, yeah, I think you could tell that they, they couldn't stretch the field vertically. Mm-hmm. They had a hard time getting big plays. They had a hard time protecting Bryce Young. But, you know, throwing the ball 57 times. I mean, Alabama ran so many plays, it could only score 18 points. So credit to Georgia's defense. Um, credit to Dan Lanning, who had been juggling head coaching duties at, you know, Oregon and um, he was he was the kind of defensive play caller um, for Georgia, um, and yeah, listen, like you said, like Stetson Bennett did enough to get the job done. Georgia ran for 190 yards, um, and 
it's just a balanced offense. And, and you know, you know, listen, this game was – people were making the joke it was, was the, kind of the LSU-Alabama 9-6 game because it was 9-6 at halftime. <laughs> and it just seemed like neither team could get in the end zone. I mean, this was a bend-but-don't-break game for three quarters, and then Georgia puts up 20 points in the fourth quarter, you know, one one touchdown being a, a pick six. But um, Alabama just didn't have enough. I, I think the injury of Jamison Williams hurt and the inability to really run the football. Credit Georgia's defense, but to me, that was kind of the big part of this game. Yeah, I agree. Um, especially the way Jamison uh, Williams was playing. I mean, he only play, I think he got knocked out in the second quarter. He had four catches for 65 yards. Um, so he was your main target going into the game. And I would it would have been interesting to see if they would able to get more big plays with him in, in there. Even if he's covered, he's still you know, someone that you have to, you know, use as a, you can use as a decoy uh, and everything like that. But, um, but yeah, credit to them. I mean, if you would have told me that Georgia would have had under 400 yards of total offense, I probably would have said they still would have lost this game. Um, just the way we know how, uh, how many points Alabama can put up. But um, overall, I think if you're, you know, if you're Georgia, I mean, this, it was right in your hands when, when that injury happened and you know, good for them for, you know, at least taking advantage. They were able to run the football towards the end of the game to kind of eat some clock there. Um, I think Alabama was just getting a little bit tired because their offense wasn't able really to stay on the field there in the second half. Um, but uh, yeah, overall um, I thought it was a, a fun title game. You mentioned how it was kind of that nine to six. I, I did think it was funny that the game happened to be played in Indianapolis, which is in big Ten country. So it, I guess it just means it doesn't matter what players you throw out there. If you're just playing in the Midwest, it's just going to be a low scoring defensive grinder. So, yeah, I, you know, I think it's something like if you're within 500, like if you're within like a hundred miles of like Iowa and like the cornfield, <laughs> you just, you just play that game. Something, something in the water just like slows There's you down. Just something a little in the bit. water, man. Big Ten football, but they must just be pumping milk in the water. That's probably what's doing. And it. and I think my my overall kind of sentiment is because we saw two playoff semifinals that were both blowouts again. Um, I forget the number, but just the percentage of semifinal games decided by like two touchdowns or more is over fifty percent. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's closer to seventy five. And what we're really seeing is is every year there's a two or three really elite teams in college football. Yep. And I know that the SEC kind of says it's very dominant, and but really it's Alabama and Georgia. I mean, we saw the SEC in bowl season. I don't know what you want to take away from that, but you know, you had Missouri losing to Army, you had Florida losing to Central Florida. Like it wasn't great for a lot of SEC teams in bowl games, but they have the elite talent. And between mm-hmm. Alabama and Georgia, Texas A&M might bring in the highest rated recruiting class of all time this cycle. Um, there are a, there are a few elite teams in the sport right now. Yeah, I don't see Georgia going anywhere. Um, Alabama brings back Bryce Young next year. But it will be interesting to see what teams kind of jump into that upper echelon here after. Because it was very evident Alabama and Georgia were the top two teams all year. Yes. And I think you make a good point about how they're being two top uh, two or three teams. I always say like making the playoff and winning the national title, I think are two completely different animals. I think once you make the playoff, like Michigan did this year, that's why I'm interested to see Michigan falling. Cause it's like, is that your ceiling or was that, Hey, we made the playoff. Now we know what we need to do. The talent we have to get, to actually win a national title. Um, and I think that's why we're only seeing so few teams do it um, and how most of them are located in the southeastern part of the United States where the best players happen to be. And, you know, so, we can talk. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to push back a little bit on that because yeah. I saw the graphic today and it was 21 of the twenty last 24 national championships have been decided within – Basically, the SEC footprint, like Texas and Oklahoma, all the way to like North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I get it. You have a lot of talent in that region, right? Texas, Georgia, Florida. But you also have programs that spend the most money and have the most resources. Yes. And I showed you a, a, a picture of Georgia's coaching staff, not just the 10 assistant coaches, the 10 full time assistant coaches, but 35, 40, 45 analysts, quality control coaches, recruiting mm-hmm. assistants, like, 
director of player personnel. College football, sadly, has kind of become a whoever has the most money, the most resources, has the best chance to win a national championship. Yeah. And we've just seen so few teams outside of that SEC footprint really commit to it. Ohio State has, maybe Notre Dame has, Michigan, but like not a lot of Pac-12 teams have. Like not a lot of ACC teams have besides Clemson. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the best players are from there. But like look at these recruiting classes. Bryce Young's from California. True. And Kaylee Ringo, who had the pick six for Georgia to seal the game, was from Scottsdale, man. <laughs> you know, A&M signing guys from Pennsylvania, Ohio State's bringing in kids from Washington. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's necessarily all about how much talent is in the South. I think it's about those programs are fully going all in and telling their coaches, blank check, Kirby, yeah. whatever you need. If you, I mean, <laughs> you joked. They have three defensive coordinators. Yeah. <laughs> Dan Landing, Will Muschamp, and somebody else. Like, Kirby, whatever you need. Like, you need to take the jet to go see a five-star. Boom, we got it. You know, you need to find some NIL money, which maybe, you know, we'll get into later on in the pod. Like, boom, it it's there. Mm-hmm. And I just think that so few teams outside of that footprint are fully kind of committing the resources that the SEC teams are. And, and it's weird because in my view, is it do teams just not believe that they have to do that to win? Or is it that those schools just don't physically just want to do it? Because... We get this argument because I agree with you completely because I think that's what makes the SEC different. It's not even just the top-tier programs that are doing that. It's 1 through 14. I mean, Mississippi State is spending, I mean, I believe uh, their head coach, uh, Mike Leach, is getting paid well over $5 million a year as a huge assistant pool. Vanderbilt is just about to build like a $100 million new athletic complex down here, and they're arguably the worst team, maybe the worst Power 5 football team uh, in FBS. So I think it stretches all the way down. And I I like how you made that comment there too. I think you're even seeing it. Um, I know, for example, you know, just being as a Wisconsin fan, our past recruiting cycle right here, we lost two four-star in-state offensive linemen to both Notre Dame and Ohio state. And the big reason they said they chose those two programs over the Badgers was they're like, those teams have made the playoff. And I know that I'll have a chance to play for a national title if I play for those teams. And I think that kind of goes in, we'll probably get into it a little bit later, but kind of goes into why I think expanding the playoff could be uh, very beneficial because you're going to have more programs that are going to be able to say, Hey, we do have a shot to compete for a playoff. But right now, maybe it's 10 teams that I think that you could say are going to be in the mix for those four spots every year. I was, um, I'm looking at a story from on three.com and it's 2019 power five recruiting spending. Number one is Georgia. They spent $3.6 million in 2019, just on recruiting. Number two, Alabama, number three, Tennessee, number four, Clemson, five, Arkansas, six, Texas A&M, seven, LSU, eight, Penn state, Nine Florida State, ten Michigan. So of the top ten schools in recruiting uh, power, in Power Five recruiting spending, I believe seven or eight are SEC programs, and I think that's what it kind of boils down to. Is it when they say it just means more? Like you have fewer pro teams in that footprint, like Mississippi, Alabama. You can make the argument LSU is bigger than the Saints in the state of Louisiana. Like it's just, yeah. it's different down there, and. I'm not. I, I think the Big Ten is the closest thing to the SEC in terms of kind of that feel because the Pac-12 just isn't it. I mean, you have mm-hmm. almost every program is in a major market. The ACC, I just the TV deal is too bad, and and it's they're too spread out. It's it truly feels like there are. I think not that I want a Super League, but it feels like there's 20 programs that are almost playing a different game than everybody else. Like yeah. you, you can't tell me that Georgia and Indiana are playing in the same game. <laughs> you know, you can't tell me that like Alabama and Washington State are like playing the same game. It's just it's 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 different. Like Washington State will never win a national championship, and it's weird to root for a team in a sport. Like college football might be the only sport. Like if you were to tell me that like Washington State makes a Final Four in basketball, I could see that in my lifetime. Yeah, you know, if you could, if you told me that Wisconsin wins a national title in in men's basketball, like I could see that. It almost they, happened. I was going to say, like, they almost did it like <laughs> eight, nine years ago. But in college football, because so much of it is resource dependent, so much of it is um, how much you're willing to spend and how much you're willing to contribute, it's just 
it's just tough. And so um, I'll let you jump in there. And then I, I have one more kind of fun little thing that I was thinking about here last month. No, I mean, most of the stuff I, I you know, wholeheartedly agree with you with. Because um, I think, you know, some schools, I think, also are just fine. You know, if you're a Wake Forest or you're in Illinois, we just want something to get our alumni excited about during the fall. Something that they can take pride in, something they can be uh, relayed in. And that's fine with us. We'll spend what money we can. We don't necessarily have the big boosters to spend that type of money. Um, we just want something to keep our alumni happy and everything like that. Meanwhile, you have these other schools who I think are just treating this like it what it is. And it's a business. It's we want to be the best that we can possibly be. This is what our alumni want more than building a new library on campus. They'd rather spend that $10 million on a whole new defensive staff. Uh, and I think that's just kind of what it is. And, and sadly, we're seeing that the, the pull from the have and the have nots is just going to continue to get wider because you're really not going to see that pull from the have nots, but that pull from the blue bloods because they're just going to be competing against one another rather than the rest of the teams in their league. Like I've always said it like Ohio state doesn't really compete against anyone else in the big 10. They're looking at Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and they're comparing themselves to those programs. So um, yeah, it is weird, especially here in the U S pretty much all of our sports are centered around winning a, a national title or a world championship as the single most popular goal. But in college football, that's just, this is not how it is. Not saying it couldn't ever be, but right now in the current system, that is not the way that it's meant to be. One of the things that to kind of lead into that is um, I was thinking about this, like what programs won, like to me, you could almost say winning a national title is hitting the ceiling of what your program can truly do. So like what programs in 2021 won a, a figurative, in air quotes, national title? I'll give you an example. Pitt. Pitt won its division. Mm-hmm. Their quarterback was a Heisman Trophy finalist. They they uh, they didn't win the Peach Bowl, but they won the ACC and they went to the Peach Bowl. Yeah. You can make an argument that's the best Pittsburgh. That's the best Pittsburgh season that they could have. Yeah, like Wake Forest. Maybe if they had won the ACC, it'd be different. But like Wake Forest won eleven games in twenty twenty one. They may have won their national championship, right? Like Michigan. What you what you kind of brought up earlier, like. Won the Big Ten, beat Ohio State, played in the playoff. That's yeah. probably the ceiling for Michigan. So, in a way, like they won their national championship. Utah made the Rose Bowl. Now they had yeah. three losses, right? Finished the year nine and four, um, or nine and ten and four. Ten, ten and four. Ten yeah, four. ten and four. But like they may have won and they beat beat Oregon twice, won the Pac twelve for the yeah. first time, made the Rose Bowl. They won their national championship. So, like, and and I get it, and and like we can talk about expansion here. I think we can kind of go into that. Um, but like, you just kind of have a system where we have focused so much on the playoff, the playoff, the playoff. Yes. And the ESPN does this useless show once a week, starting like November fifteenth, <laughs> and we wonder why players opt out of bowl games. We wonder why, um, you know, the the big bowl games. Why you have Ohio State playing in the Rose Bowl without its two top receivers? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so let's kind of talk about move into playoff expansion. This is something that you, you sent me an article about it from Dan Wetzel, not really about it, but about the health of the sport. Um, I'll let yeah. you start kind of and take the conversation where you want to go. There's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of, it doesn't seem like we're close to expanding the playoff anytime soon. No. Uh, but where kind of do you think we're at and where do you think we should be at? Well, I mean, it's interesting because I just generally thought everybody wanted to expand this damn thing. And then I found out quick on our Arizona group chat that there's there's a lot of mixed feelings amongst fans about whether to expand. I think if your comp like if your team benefits from it, for instance, if you're in the SEC or you're one of these top teams in your conferences, you probably don't want to have to see yourself play more games. But I mean, you you sent me you know, on Twitter, you know, the ratings for this uh, national championship were the lowest of any non-COVID year. Yep. Um, and it's significantly down from the original uh, back in 2014, which is still the highest rated bowl game or national championship game. And that was with Ohio State and Oregon, two non-SEC teams. And I'm not necessarily saying people don't want to watch the SEC. I think they do. There's a reason why it's the most, it makes the most money. 
that being said, I think there is a general fatigue that, you know, people outside of that part of the country and non, you know, hardcore college football fans, they just have no interest because they're like, it's the same teams every year. It's ignoring the rest of the country. There's no team from the Midwest, no team from the, you know, the West Coast has made the playoffs since what? 2017? 2016. 2016. Since was that Washington when they made it? And, you know, no team, I think, west of the Mississippi has made it since then. So no, uh, well, I guess Oklahoma, but no Texas, um, but just Oklahoma, really. And I think it's just people are just kind of annoyed. I think, you know, when you had two teams from the Midwest make the playoff, both of them got blown out. And it just kind of felt like, and this was a game that we just saw a little over a month ago that happened in Atlanta. And I just think it that's not healthy for the sport, in my opinion, is when half the country is just tuning it out, not even now, but probably tuned it out when Oregon lost their game against Utah and knew, okay, well, they're done for the playoff. So that's the biggest reason why I think expansion is good is you kind of, you kind of mentioned it earlier, like the playoff has become the sole, almost sole purpose of the sport and ESPN can complain all they want about people opting out of bowl games, but it's partially, it's largely their fault that these players do not give a crap about the bowl games that ESPN largely created. Um, All the coverage is on that. And the thing that just, it just dries up everything else, all the other stuff, the rivalries that we love, you know, half the conference championship games didn't even matter this year for the playoff. Um, And I just think if you expand it, yeah, like, is it going to change probably who's winning it? I don't think so. But it expands access to it. You're still letting less than 10% of the teams that play this damn sport every year. Um, I just think it creates a larger audience and it gives – I think it benefits a lot. You're your kind of your, not your top tier programs, but those ones right underneath. Like if you're a Penn State, a Notre Dame, uh, a Wisconsin, Oregon, where you can now say that you probably have a legitimate shot to play in the playoffs. And I think when you use that in recruiting, that will help. Yeah, that you're not going to get top five recruiting classes, but you might be able to sway a couple more people who aren't even going to look at you because, well, you don't make the playoffs. And that's what I think that it could be really help. And it keeps the whole country involved the whole time because people are going to want to see who wins the Pac-12, the Big 12. Um, people want to see maybe if there's an undefeated team coming out of Conference USA. <laughs> you know, people want to see if they have a shot to make the playoff because uh, they would have more access. So I just think it generally just keeps more people involved. And I think overall that's better for the sport. College football has the best regular season of any sport in the worst postseason. Yes. Um, I don't want to say there's too many bowls because I love watching the, you know, Hawaii Bowl on Christmas Eve. And I love watching the Bahamas Bowl on a Tuesday in December. Like, it's great. Yeah. But, you know, there's 42 bowls. And if you fin and win six games, you make a bowl game. And we're surprised that players opt out of having to practice through Christmas. Like, you know, <laughs> like we're surprised about this. Like, um, I agree with a lot of what you said. And, and, and you know, that's why. And, like, we don't have to get down to the you know, nitty gritty details, but like, I just think that's why automatic bids for conference champions make too much sense because it, it keeps your programs engaged. If you're Oregon and you have two conference losses, you're not automatically eliminated from the playoff. You know, if you're Wisconsin and you go to the big 10 championship game and you're, you're nine and three or whatever, 10 and two, you're not eliminated. You're at, you're playing for something, right? Like when Iowa played Michigan, only one team was playing for, the chance to play for a national mm-hmm. championship. It's very strange to me that we have 130 some odd teams in FBS and four make its playoff. I mean, yeah. four, <laughs> you, you lose two games and your season, not is your national championship aspirations are over. I don't care if you're Western Michigan or Michigan. Yeah. Um, but the problem is you have five or six conferences that all want different things. They're all looking out for their best interests, right? The ACC is looking to lure Notre Dame and the Big Ten wants to keep its stranglehold on this. And the Pac-12 yeah. wants to make sure the Rose Bowl is happy with its time slot. And you're never going to get a consensus on how many teams, automatic bids, 
when the games are played, where they're played, unless you get a commissioner, unless you get one yeah. singular person to come in and say, this is how we're doing things. And at this point, I don't know why. I don't know if we're even close to being that. Like, why the SEC keeps getting two teams in and keeps winning national championships? Why would it change? No. I mean, maybe if you're a Texas A&M or a Florida, like, yeah, more teams mean more of your conference in there. And if really, if you're Greg Sankey, you're like, we can get six teams in there easy. You know, like yeah. we like, you know, like we can get five, six teams every year. That's good for you. But the fact that we are basically back to square one from what a lot of the reporting states. We're not going to get this by, you know, 2024, 2025. Like, we're six, seven years away from seeing any sort of Progress. change. And, like, it's a long time, man. Like, that's just a long time to wait. And it's frustrating as someone who loves the sport. And so, just, like, to be honest, I didn't have a lot of interest in the game on Monday. Like, I just yeah. didn't. And I think I was texting you and our, our, our friend Blaine, and I was like, to me, this college football doesn't crown it like a true champion. Right, because we didn't see Georgia play the winner of the Pac-12, or like we didn't see the ACC champ play Alabama. Like, would it be different? No, right. But it would it would kind of be like if in the NFL we just took a poll of the four best teams after the regular season and they made the playoff. Yeah, it's like who knows what could happen. You know, the the Steelers could beat the Chiefs this weekend. The you know the Packers could lose their divisional game. Like we can't just put the Packers in the Super Bowl because they're the Packers. Like you don't know. So. It's, I, I don't know. Like, I want to see change because how cool would it be to even have an eight or 12 team playoff? And you see Alabama, you know, hosting Ohio State in round two, or you see Wisconsin play USC in, in the 5 12 matchup. Like, that would be super cool. Arizona State will never sniff the playoff. It doesn't matter. But still, <laughs> you know, it, would be, it would be cool if Wisconsin or somebody, some other legitimate college football team, not Arizona State, could, you know, make the playoff. <laughs> Anyway. Well, I think that's the thing that's cool. Like, just, um, you know, especially when you follow, like, the the FCS playoff. Yes. It was awesome. Like, East Tennessee State is playing way the hell up in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, and, and, like, that's the frustrating thing is there is a blueprint for this. Yes. When you at the, at the FCS level, you win your conference, you get an auto bid. Top eight get buys, like, all on the campus until you get to, like, the finals or maybe the semifinals. Um it's 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 pretty easy. I mean, yeah. it's, like, but you know, we just can't have nice things sometimes. No, and it's it's just really unfortunate because, like you mentioned too, like the SEC. Greg Sankey said he's like, we're fine with the current system. He's like, we're honestly doing this because he's like, we think we'll benefit from anyone. But also, he's like, he's like, I know the sport is not healthy if the rest of the country is not involved. And I agree with you completely. That's why we love, like, I love watching March Madness, watching Selection Sunday. It's so exciting because you have no idea who the hell you're going to be playing. And you want to just see what the matchups are going to be. Yeah, what's and, your road to the championship? Where are you yeah. playing? And, like, you mentioned, too, like, how cool would it be? Yeah, if, uh, like, if Iowa made was, like, the was like the seventh seed and they got to host, say, like, Florida State up in Iowa City in mid-December. Like, it would just be, oh, my gosh, it would just be so awesome. And we wouldn't have to wait four weeks to see another meaningful college football game where pretty much if you're a casual fan or you're not a huge college football fan but a sports fan, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that's on. Like, you kind of lose interest. All the storylines that you built during the regular season are completely gone. And it almost feels like you're just playing, not an exhibition, but it's almost like a different season. Well, and, you know, you and I were talking about, like, the semifinals were on a Friday afternoon, New Year's Eve, when not everybody is off. The first game was at 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central. You know, it's like, because the Rose Bowl has to have its, its you know, sunset, beautiful, you know, <laughs> going to break after the third quarter shot in on January 1st. We have to arrange these. The national championship games played on a Monday because we can't conflict with the NFL that plays its games on Saturdays now. I mean, it's, it's, it's just tough. And listen, I've always said, I, I think it's relatively easy. I think you, you have an 18 playoff, you have your five power five conference champions, you have two at large teams. And if the highest ranked group of five team hits a certain threshold, like top 12 or top 10, they get an auto bid. And one, you have one, eight, you know, two, seven, three, six, four, five, you would do it like, 
two weeks after conference championship week. So like the, basically the first weekend of like the bowl season. Yeah. And then you do your semifinals on a normal, on the, the, the normal time, right around, right around new year's Eve, new year's day. And then you do your um, championship game, whenever. Like, I, I don't know why that is so hard. I think it, it is a stopgap, a pretty, something that most people can agree. Um, because I, I just don't like that. Like we had a great big 12 title game. Only to see Baylor like go to the Sugar Bowl and half of their players don't want to play. And I guess not half. I, I shouldn't say that, but you know, we, we see Pitt get its one of the biggest wins in the history of the program, and then their Heisman finalist quarterback sits out the bowl game. And he he, he probably should have because the, the Pitt quarterback broke his collarbone in that game. So who knows? <laughs> well, it's like in their opponent too, Michigan State has this unbelievable year kind of out of nowhere, ten and two. And then they get to play in the Peach Bowl, and then their best player, Kenneth Walker, another Heisman Trophy finalist, he sits out because to them this game means nothing. And that's the thing I find it funny with like the Pac-12 and the Big Ten trying to uphold the Rose Bowl. It's like no one even wants to play in the Rose Bowl. Guys that grew up like in the Midwest, like myself, around the West Coast, like yourself, who grew up loving the Rose Bowl, you know, we see our best players, they don't even want to play in it anymore because it doesn't mean anything. And to me, it's just like you can't get that sunset any other day of the week. It has to be on, on right. January 1st. You have no issue moving it to January 2nd when uh, when January 1st comes on a Sunday. So to me, it's just preposterous, especially with um, – because the games are going to – the bowl games are going to mean more too if you go to 12 teams. Those quarterfinals will all take place at all those New Year's Six Bowls. So those yep. will all be playoff games. Four will be quarterfinals. The other two will be semifinals. Um, I just think it heightens the the bowl experience for all those teams. You'll get less opt-outs. I just, I just think there's too many wins. Yeah, does it water down maybe the regular season a little bit because the stakes aren't as high for every single game? But I think I think you heighten more games than you lose height for other games. I would agree, right? Like like if you're like Wisconsin, Minnesota at the end of the season, like Wisconsin playing for a trip to go to the Big Ten championship game, it would mean more because you still have a chance to make the playoff. If you right. you know yeah. what I'm saying? Or like if ASU and Utah were to play and you know, ASU's probably four and seven, um, but Utah's good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be the opposite. It could be, it could be, nah, be, I, I was gonna like, say what what if it's like a, a ten and one U, ASU team going on the road to Tucson to play like a two and eight yeah. uh, U of A team. Yeah, like, let's there's do that. still huge stakes. There's still huge stakes. Like they have to clinch they have to win to clinch the Pac twelve West or something like that. Like I think it it helps out, like you mentioned, like the ACC, the Big Twelve, like those championship games would carry so much more weight. I mean, think about Clemson, right? Clemson has a couple early losses, and like, yeah, yeah. they I, they kind of rallied late and had a good season, but like they would have more to play for. You wouldn't have players like quitting halfway through the season on these big programs because they're like, yeah, like what? Like I'm I'm not going to go play in the Citrus Bowl, you know, yeah. whatever it is. So, well, even like programs like like Florida or some of those other like LSU, do you think those players just completely give out halfway through their season if they know, hey, if we rally off some wins, we still got a shot at this thing? I mean, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but I just think there's too much. Pot. It's just, but like you mentioned, it's just frustrating because last last summer when they came out with that proposal, I thought this thing was a done deal. It was just like we basically just have to cross the T's, dot the I's. I, I do think um, that the Oklahoma-Texas going to the SEC did completely change all of this because I think everyone just got too weary and did not want to trust the SEC if they didn't trust them already. Um, and I think that really curtailed things, but it really is just annoying just hearing guys just kind of bitch about the stupidest freaking stuff. That It just feels like they're just way out of touch with the actual universities and the fans that they're supposed to be serving. I think that's the most frustrating thing. Yeah. Because I think an overwhelming number of fans want this. Right. Yes. And I think if you're the fan of a couple of programs in the sec, maybe you're like, eh, screw it. Like we don't want another couple of games, but the overwhelming amount of fans are for this. They want to see more teams have a chance to win a national championship. Like yeah. they want to see the, you know, now would we get a lot of quarterfinal blowouts? Yeah. But we could also get like a five seed Baylor and a four seed Notre Dame, and that'd be a cool little. You know what I'm saying? Like, it I don't gives, know. It gives more programs exposure. We get to see different teams 
competing for the same goal, which I think overall is is healthy for the sport. Like you said, maybe one year you have a team like a, like a Baylor or maybe you have an ASU that makes a, a Cinderella run. All of a sudden they're in the semifinals, but we don't get that because we don't allow teams to have that opportunity. And I think that's, that's the sad part. Um, all right, let's move, uh, change topics here. I didn't really prep you for this, but I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the quarterback carousel that's been happening the last mm. couple of, uh, last couple of weeks. So just to kind of get everyone up to speed here, a lot of quarterbacks changing jerseys, uh, from 2021 to 2022. I'm just looking on 247.com. They have a, a really good transfer portal site. Um, Three five-star quarterbacks have, have transferred. Quinn Ewers, Ohio State to Texas. Obviously, Caleb Williams from Oklahoma, likely to USC. Jackson Dart is in the transfer portal, former USC quarterback. Dylan Gabriel transfers from UCF to Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma to South Carolina. Max Johnson, LSU to A&M. Kadon Slovis to Pitt. Um, Connor Basilak goes from Missouri to Indiana. Uh, Bo Nix goes from Auburn to Oregon. Lucas, what kind of of that group kind of it's it's this is the first full off season where the one time transfer rule has been in effect. And yeah, there's like 3000 players in the transfer portal or something like it's it's pretty crazy. But the the quarterback roulette has been pretty crazy the last couple of weeks it is nuts just because all these guys, for the most part, are either proven or we know they have a ton of potential to be really, really good. I think, obviously, Spencer Rattler to South Carolina, I think, shocked a lot of people. I thought he would go to probably a bigger, bigger, bigger program. Yeah. Um, But he probably knows he's going to play right away. He doesn't want to have to compete like he did at Oklahoma. Um, I think one of the most interesting ones, though, is probably a guy, uh, I know we've heard of him, but not probably not a lot of other fans have. But that's Cameron Ward transferring from Incarnate Word. I believe he was the FCS player of the year this past year at Incarnate Word. They had kind of had a magical season. I think it was their best program, uh, most wins they had had uh, in program history. And his head coach goes to Wazoo. So he follows him up and he has, I believe, three to four years. He has three years left of eligibility. Um, so it's really, I'm really interested to see what they do with him there at Wazoo. Um, and also seeing, it was so weird, Dylan Gabriel, not only committed Oklahoma, but decommitted from ucla it was just so weird seeing a transfer commit and decommit and recommit to another school within about like two weeks um you know what's interesting is is so i was on twitter tonight and chubba purder uh chubby chubber chubba purdy excuse me is uh brock purdy's younger brother he was a florida state quarterback in the transfer portal and he's on a visit to oklahoma right now and I saw him on Twitter with like his parents with like the Jersey and the helmet and doing the photo shoot. And I was like, it must be crazy to be like, almost have a second recruiting process. Yeah. Like you just did this a couple of years ago. You go to Florida state two years later, you're in the portal and you're like doing the same thing again, going to schools on official visits, taking pictures, all that stuff. It's, it's very interesting. Um, Yeah. So Cameron Ward was a little interesting. I, I had seen a lot of old miss buzz. Um, cause they're losing Matt Corral and Cam Ward, like you said, really, I mean, he on the two, four, seven, like page, he's the fourth rated quarterback in the portal yeah. behind Ewers, Williams, Jackson, Dart ahead of Gabriel Rattler, Max Johnson, Kadon Slovis. So I think that's very interesting. Um, Texas A&M kind of had a weird off season where like they lose Zach Calzada, who was decent for them, beat yeah. Alabama. They bring in Max Johnson, who I think is an upgrade, but like, isn't? It's not like you bring in Jackson Dart or Caleb Williams. Yeah. Like, he's not like Max Johnson dominated for LSU. Um, obviously, the two quarterbacks at the top are ones that kind of turned heads, and that was Quinn Ewers, whose story is just going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, he, <laughs> he basically graduates high school a year early, enrolls at Ohio State because he has seven-figure NIL deals lined up, and he yeah. couldn't do that in high school in Texas. So he graduates early, goes to Ohio State, throws off their entire quarterback room. Like, Ewers was supposed to be in this 2022 class and enroll in January or enroll in the summer, but instead he's last year, they burn his red shirt, like, he ends up throwing like two passes or not like throwing any um, yeah. gets into a couple games announces. He's going to transfer goes to Texas, which was where he was committed under Tom Herman 
Um, and then obviously Caleb Williams, who has been one of numerous players to leave Oklahoma in the wake of Brent Venables. A lot of Georgia buzz early on in his recruitment. Like a lot of people being like, well, I think I think he's going to get the deal done with Georgia. And then Stetson Bennett wins in a national championship and a lot of USC buzz. Um, Quinn Ewers, I think, is just going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah. Like a lot of hype, a lot of expectations. You're two for Sark. And we know now that Texas is in the SEC, firing a coach after two years is well on the table, table for yes. the SEC. Um, so I'm interested to see how he goes. And then I think Bo Nix to Oregon was another one that kind of caught people by surprise. I think most people kind of thought he could stay in the SEC footprint, maybe go to Florida, um, South Carolina maybe. Um, he goes all the way to Oregon. And Ty Thompson, I'm wondering what happens with him, former five-star quarterback yeah. out of Gilbert, Arizona, who did not play last year over Anthony Brown and um, now has Bo Nixon. So. That'll be interesting. Anything uh, else, Lucas, you want to touch on from the uh, the portal? Uh, I just think, like you kind of mentioned, like guys redoing their recruitment all over again. I think, I mean, we kind of, we have seen it similar with FCS quarterbacks transferring up to the FBS level. But, I mean, I, I like to draw sometimes, especially with the transfer portal parallels to like college basketball, because this, this type of stuff has been going on in college basketball now for better part of the net last four or five years um, with player movement. And you often see guys who start out at a lower level program at uh, like a mid-major have a really good freshman and sophomore year. And then they transfer up to a power five job. I'm interested to see if we will, we've kind of seen that already, but I'm interested to see if we can, if we see that where your non-power five teams are struggling to hold on to their best players after two, three years. And just because those guys want to get more exposure, they want to play at a bigger program. And I can't blame players because that's what you grow up wanting to do. But I mean, I am interested to see if that trend accelerates. And then also to, you mentioned over 3000 players in the portal. Sadly, we're going to see this more and more each year. There's going to be less and less spots for some of these guys to go. And you just hope that a lot of these players are getting really good advice from good people who have their best interest at heart because I'm interested to see how many of these guys have to accept walk-on spots because there's just no scholarship spots open. The transfer portal really is, is changing college football in a lot of ways. It's changing how teams recruit. Um, you're, I think you're going to see less high school kids taken in every class because schools have to keep the roster spots open. Like you have to be able to get guys in the portal and especially quarterbacks. Like, you're going to see coaches be less inclined to take chances on high school quarterbacks mm-hmm. um, when they can go get a, a Bo Nix or a Spencer Rattler. And at least I've seen this guy be somewhat productive in college because there's no three to four year rebuild anymore, right? Yeah. Like there's no wait for my guys to get in, then we'll be okay. It's like, no, if you don't show progress in year two, like you're either on the hot seat or you're firing coordinators or you're gone. Um, and you're right, Lucas. Like, and that's the sad part about the portal is I, I get it. It's player empowerment. Players can go where they want. Coaches can go where they want too. But you don't really read the stories of the players that sit in the portal for two years, miss a year of college, and then have to walk on it somewhere, or they mm-hmm. they drop down a whole level and they're you know they're transferring from a power five to a a SWAC school or you know a school in the the Big West or like wherever you know where your amenities and your resources are a lot different. Your style of life is a lot different than if you're at a major power five school. Um, it's, it's interesting because again, through there's 3000 spots. There's not, there's not 3000 spots. There's 3000 players, not 3000 spots. Um, it's, it's really changed a lot of things. It's changed the way coaches maybe fill out rosters. It's changed the way the coaches promise playing time. One thing I, I've also seen is, you know, now it, it benefits you to keep tabs on players that were already committed. Because mm-hmm. if you were like recruiting a guy at a high school and he signs with Wisconsin for two years and you're Illinois or you're Michigan State and that guy doesn't crack Wisconsin's lineup for two years, he's in the portable. You have that relationship already. Yep. Like you're not going to burn that bridge anymore, mm-hmm. which I also think is kind of interesting. So, I mean, listen, college coaches get paid very well, but between this and NIL sprouting up in like the last you know, eight to 10 months combined. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's kind of the wild west out there. 
And you know, there are a lot of rumblings that A&M paid a lot of money for their recruiting class, and you're seeing players. There were reports like Eli Ricks from LSU went to Alabama because they offered him more NIL money, and it's it's. And listen, go go get your money, go get paid, but like, I mean, good luck. At least at least they're doing it, I guess, legally now. Uh, but um, I mean. Nick Saban made a quote about it uh, before the national championship game that we have to have some type of legislation on NIL because he's like, it is getting out of control. And I think what he's meaning is if there's no legislation, we're absolutely going to, we're going to stop everybody at NIL if there's no legislation. Um, Cause that's what good programs do. They're usually the, the ones not, to jump on right away but once they do they just blow everybody else out of the water so um i like i i honestly don't think there's going to be anything because the ncaa i feel like wants to have less and less responsibility by the day they just want other people to do whatever the hell they want um which i'm relatively fine with because the ncaa makes stuff worse more times than they make stuff better but no, it's, it's definitely a, a unique time. I'm interested to see how many old school coaches stick along. We saw, you know, like Coach K, Coach Williams, Roy Williams uh, in college basketball stepped down because of stuff like this, NIL and transfer portal. They just said they just didn't think they could ever adapt to it. And I'm interested to see if other coaches go by the wayside like that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be interesting. And again, I... I I think Jen, like we, we, we think that every school does this and every school loses dozens of players. It, it's, it's not, I mean, it's, no. it's a lot of the bigger ones. Not every school is paying to get players. Like they're, they're just not cause they can't afford it. Yeah. The, the big ones are, um, not everyone is, and not everyone's losing a dozen players to the portal every year. Um, unless you're Hawaii, I guess. <laughs> oh, <God>, <laughs> the sad situation that is, I was like, man, his own son. It's transferred. It's own son. Yeah. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. That's rough. Um, all right, Lucas, we're about 45-ish minutes into uh, today's episode. Um, looking ahead a little bit to 2022. Obviously, there's no offseason. We got signing day next month, uh, second signing day. Spring practices will begin next month. Um, what are you kind of keeping your eye on here? I mean, I, I, I think we'll do another couple episodes here throughout the offseason, but yeah. Kind of early look ahead to 2022. What are you kind of keeping your eye on? Um, that's a good question. I I mean, honestly, like for me, it's it's one we kind of just touched on. I think seeing how some of these guys in the transfer portal adapt, um, seeing how quickly they have an impact on their program. Does it take any of these quarterbacks a little bit of time to adjust to a new team? Or is this going to be where, you know, Alabama, USC, all these good programs can just pluck these guys off the street, plug them in, and it's just plug and play. Um, I am interested to see who – I think we already know kind of who the top teams are going to be going into next year. I think, you know, Alabama is certainly going to be up there, probably the preseason number one. Georgia will be up there, Ohio State. Um, but I'm looking forward to some of these new coaching changes. I think USC is probably the most intriguing one just because I think – if they're able to get back to some mode of being a powerhouse in the Pac-12, it elevates that whole side of the country for college football. Um, so I am interested to see what Lincoln Riley does there, uh, but also interested to see what Brian Kelly does at LSU. Does he create another monster in the SEC or specifically in the SEC West um, and what he can do? So I think a few of those things, some of the new transfers and then some of the new coaches. What about yourself? Yeah, I think there are a couple programs that I'll keep my eye on. I think you mentioned USC. That was on my list as, as a program that, like, how quickly does Lincoln Riley if, – if they get Caleb Williams, yeah. you legit could see USC as the preseason favorite to win the South and, and maybe the whole conference. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other teams, like Texas A&M, like, at some point, eight and four is not going to be good enough. Yeah. And they're going to most likely finish with the number one recruiting class in the country. They bring in Max Johnson. Um, this should be a ready-made roster. They're losing a couple really good players to the draft, Isaiah Spiller, a couple really good linemen. Um, at some point, like, now, they had a really good year last year in COVID. They made the Orange Bowl. Um, but in a kind of a normal season where you have your normal schedule, like, are you going to lose to Arkansas again? Are you going to get swept by the Mississippi schools again? Like, 
very like a and M had just such a strange year this year and um beat Alabama. So yeah. uh North Carolina with Mac Brown, like again, a program that's been really had done really well on the recruiting show the last couple of years. He went six and seven this year. I mean, with Sam Howell. Um and he's gone. So mm-hmm. what's that program gonna look like? Um, Sarkeesian in Texas in year two. Like, what does that look like? Sarke- if Sarkeesian goes, you know, anything less than seven or eight wins, like, he might be gone. Um, yeah. So, again, like, we'll get into more details here in the coming months, but there's never an offseason in college football. There's a lot of intrigue. You're going to see a lot you know, a lot of new quarterbacks in new spots. It's um, it's fun. It's it's, it's going to be a good time. So, any uh, any, any final thoughts here, Lucas, as we, as we uh, simmer down here? No, it's just kind of hard to believe college football. The regular season is over um, or just the season itself. Um, we're going to have to wait till wait uh, week zero when we finally get to see uh, our huge grudge match of Northwestern and Nebraska in Dublin. So Don't forget uh, about Illinois-Wyoming, baby. Week zero as well. <laughs> oh, man. It's going to be great. We Hey, we get to bet on UConn again in week zero. Oh, this year, I believe they're times. playing a week zero game. So that's exciting. <laughs> but no, I'm excited uh, to follow. I think we'll still try to get at least one pot up at least each month. Yeah. Um, throughout the offseason, because like you said, the off season's becoming almost just as amusing as the actual playing season itself. So, um, no, really looking forward, excited for spring practice to uh, jump back up where everybody on my favorite team is all of a sudden making huge strides. And I believe it's going to be an all American player. So uh, yeah, just really, really excited to look forward to 2022 and hopefully uh, playoff expansion and all this stuff gets settled as well. So we can kind of stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Let's not, uh, let's not hold our breath there. <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for us tonight for another running for the roses. Uh, Patty swag sends his best uh, for Lucas Rody. I'm Ryan Baffle. Lucas, stay frosty. Everybody.